This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 30 this morning. We're continuing a series of messages that we've called Inheritance, the Stories that Shape Us. And so this summer, we're walking through some of the the Old Testament stories and learning that these are not just men and women who serve as role models, but they, through Christ, become our spiritual ancestors. And so as we read their stories, it's not just a question of what can I learn and how can I apply it, but what we're trying to understand is because I've been brought into Jesus and I'm an inheritor of all that he has— These men and women and their lives and the things that they model for me, these are now my spiritual inheritance. They're literally in our spiritual DNA. This is who we are. It's what we do. It's how we react in the world. Today we're going to look at the story of Joseph and talk about how we have an inheritance of favor. Now, as I've I've told you each week, all of these stories are much too big for one Sunday, and there are all sorts of things that we could say we have inherited from Joseph, but today we're going to focus in on that one little idea of we have inherited God's favor. So we'll start in Genesis chapter 30. Joseph's story actually begins a a couple chapters earlier as you hear the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is Joseph's father, and where we pick up the story this morning is in Genesis chapter 30 with the birth of Joseph. It says in Genesis 30 verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Now, as you, as you start Joseph's story, one of the things you're going to have to learn pretty quickly is God's favor doesn't depend on your family. Right now, now, we sang about Joseph's family this morning, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and because we sang about them, you might be tempted to think these were incredible, righteous, uh, perfect people. And yet, if you read their family story, you figure out pretty quickly the chosen family of God was fairly dysfunctional. So Joseph's dad, his name is Jacob. When it's time for him to get married, he's sent off to the land where his mother has come from. He encounters a man named Laban, and Laban has a daughter named Rachel. Joseph's dad, he kind of puts his eye towards Rachel and decides that's the one I want to marry. So he goes to Laban and makes a deal and says, hey, I will work for you for seven years if you'll allow me to marry your daughter Rachel at the end. Laban says, yes, no problem, let's do that. Joseph, or sorry, Jacob works for Laban for seven years. At the end of seven years, he, uh, is, it's time for the wedding. Laban deceives him. It, it, kind of as you read through the scriptures, it looks like basically Laban gets him really drunk and he gives him his older daughter, Leah, who Jacob did not want to marry as his wife. And, and Jacob apparently doesn't recognize this until the morning after his wedding. He wakes up and looks and thinks, not Rachel, right? And, and that, I don't know, I, I would assume would be fairly alarming. I've never had that experience. Um, and and so, so he goes back to Laban and says, hey, uh, not the deal we made. Laban explains to him, it's not our custom to let a younger daughter be married before the older daughter. So tell you what, work for me seven more years and you can have Rachel too. So he says, okay. So now he has two wives who are sisters. One he loves, the other he really doesn't. And God enables Leah to begin to get pregnant and she starts having all of these babies and she's sure that now her husband will love her and yet he continues to prefer Rachel, but Rachel's womb is closed. 
And so Rachel, at some point along the way, decides, I'm tired of my sister having all the babies. Here, sleep with my servant instead. So he does, and he conceives. And, and then it seems like Leah can't have kids anymore. So she brings her servant and says, here, sleep with her. And so he does, and he has babies. And, and then when we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 30, Rachel's womb is opened, and she gives birth to Joseph. Joseph is number 11 of 12 sons, born to Jacob among his two wives and their two servants. And so I don't know what your family is like, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty confident even in Oklahoma where some of us might be able to say that our uncle is married to our cousin, but it's okay and legal that we're still probably not as messed up as Joseph's family was. Now, as you keep reading Joseph's story, you see it's not just a wild background he comes from, but things are actually a little more complicated. Joseph was the favorite son of his father's favorite wife, which just that sentence alone kind of gives you a clue into the status in their home, right? There's just, there's a lot of turmoil. And because he's the firstborn son of Rachel, the one that Jacob loves, Joseph gets a lot of preferential treatment. Any of you have a sibling that gets a lot of preferential treatment? right? Probably the baby. Yep. Yeah. That's just how it works, right? Second of four, my little sister never worked for a thing a day in her life, right? Now we've got the little girl and same thing's happening there, but it's just kind of how it works, right? That they, they just get spoiled. Well, in, in Joseph's family though, his brothers don't just kind of give him the lighthearted teasing that we all give to our younger siblings about how easy they have it and how mom and dad aren't actually really parenting anymore, but they're a little more direct in their hatred of him. In fact, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 4, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So what you need to know about Joseph is Joseph comes from a dysfunctional family. Joseph comes from a place where the home is not necessarily a safe, welcoming, and warm environment for him. His brothers don't just tease him, they hate him. They despise him. They could not speak a kind word to him. And I, I don't know if you grew up with brothers or not, but when brothers don't speak a kind word to you, it doesn't mean they don't speak to you. Right? Anybody? Yeah. It just means they're saying all kinds of other things to you all the time. And as one of the youngest, Joseph likely would have grown up in an environment where he was mocked, where he was made fun of, where he was ridiculed, where he was put down over and over and over again. He was son number 11 of 12. Culturally, he had no significance. His only value would have been in his ability to provide an extra set of hands to work for the family's future. And yet, for some reason, God chooses Joseph out of this family. And it's a reminder to you and to, I, and to me today that God's favor doesn't depend on our family. Now, some of us, we might have been incredibly blessed. And you've got mom and dad who love Jesus and loved you. And all your siblings love you. And you go to bed every night like it's the sound of music, just singing your way into the bedroom. And you've got grandma and grandpa who are anchors of your faith. And, and that's good and that's wonderful. But, but for others, we've got some dysfunction in our family history. There's some divorce. There's some heartache, there's some addiction, there's some difficulty, there's some broken relationships, there's some siblings that don't speak, there's some people that we don't talk about anymore, and the enemy will come and tell you, because of your family, you will not experience God's favor. And yet we see in Joseph's story that God chose him. And Joseph is a recipient of God's favor, not because of who he was or what he did 
but because he was created and loved by God. And we remember today, as, as we go out to Royal Family Kids Camp, that we take this same message to every single camper. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whose son or daughter you might be. It doesn't matter the situation you live in. It doesn't matter how your siblings treat you or speak to you. It doesn't matter how, how much your culture doesn't value your life or your participation. You matter and have received God's favor because he created you. Joseph's story reminds us that every life has value, every life has worth, every life has, has dignity because we're created by God and because we're called by God. And as you, you keep reading Joseph's story, you get over to Genesis chapter 37 and we start to see that God's favor changed Joseph's future. So in Genesis chapter 37 verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And so, so if we had time, we could work through this idea of exactly what the dreams mean and why God is giving them to Joseph. But his brothers interpret them correctly. God is telling Joseph, I'm going to raise you to a position of influence and leadership over your brothers. And then when he says, I had a dream and even the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me, it's this idea of your father, your mother, your brothers will all bow before you. God's favor always changes our future. Joseph was overlooked by his culture. He was spoiled by his father. He was hated by his brothers. And he probably was trying to figure out exactly what life is going to look like with all these conflicts in his life. And then God begins to send these dreams to him that someday, in some way, he'll be in a position of leadership and influence, but it would have seemed impossible at the time. And if, if we had time, we could talk about, was, you know, was this the wisest thing for Joseph to tell his brothers? Now, do you have to tell every dream God gives you to everyone? Or maybe sometimes should you keep a few to yourself or just the people that you really trust? But we don't have time to go there. All we have time to understand is when God's favor rests on you, his favor changes the future that you had planned and the future that others might have planned for you. And sometimes as you begin to discover God's plan and his dreams for you, it, it requires a change. It might be a change of location. It might be a change of direction. It might be a change of what you're pursuing as a college student, a change of the job you're working. It might be calling you out of some dead relationships and onto a new path of life, calling you away from some old patterns of behavior and thought. But whatever it is, when God's favor rests on you, his favor always makes a difference in you and always directs you onto a path defined by a continual experience of his favor. But don't be surprised if along the way, there's some people who don't like what you're doing. I mean, you, you can just, can you imagine, like Joseph knows his brothers hate him. And he goes like, hey guys, let me tell you about a dream I had. And they, they respond to him, we hate you, stop telling us this. And he comes back the next day, hey, another dream, right? You guys are still bowing down to me and, and they don't like it, 
right? Even his own father kind of rebukes him of like, you really think I'm going to bow down to you? And so, so you might have to be careful with how you share the things God is putting in your life, but you never have to feel bad about the things that God is calling you to do. God's favor when it rests on you, even if others oppose you, even if others doubt you, even if they meet you with the, well, who do you think you are and how would that ever be possible? Your job is not to have it all figured out to answer every question. Your job is just to be obedient to the things that Jesus is revealing to you. And when his favor rests on you, it always motivates you to move forward in your relationship with him. And now we we see in Joseph's story that as you move forward, there might be some opposition along the way. And so so let's keep reading in Genesis chapter 37. Verse 17, it says, so when Joseph, so Joseph's dad has told him, hey, your brother's out with the the flocks. Why don't you go out and check on them? Again, kind of another little sign of why wasn't Joseph working the flocks? Because he's the favorite kid, right? So, So he sends them out, go out and check on them. And it says, when Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. As you keep reading Joseph's story, you begin to learn that God's favor endures. Now, I don't know your approach to God's favor. My preferred method would be God gives me his favor and his favor overwhelms every potential obstacle in my life. Right? And that, that when I tell you about the things God has put in my heart, uh, all you can really do is stand and applaud. And just be like, that's awesome, can't wait, let's go, right? And, and I think we all kind of have this hope of when I experience God's favor and I surrender my life to him, I would really enjoy for life to always go up and to the right. To never have hardship, to never have difficulty, to never have opposition. And yet for Joseph, he's received God's favor. He's been given a picture of his future. And the people who are closest to him, their first response is, let's kill him. And throw his body in a cistern. And then we'll just tell dad that a wild animal ate him. And so Joseph's story begins to teach us that the inheritance of favor we have received does not mean we are exempt from difficulty. When you follow the path that Jesus has for you, you are also walking the path that the enemy is dedicated to getting you off of. Jesus later tells us this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, when we experience God's favor, we know we are chosen, we're loved, we're called by him, we're walking the path that he has for us. And that means we cannot quit walking it at the first sign of opposition or difficulty. Because the enemy is going to come and he's going to try to distract you away from God's favored path. He's going to try to delay the outcomes that God has for you. He's going to try to destroy your faith. And he will use every means available to him to steal and kill and destroy the work and the favor of God in your life. This is is what we see this week at camp. In the lives of our campers, the enemy has been working and active. If you know anything about the foster care system, you know the qualifications to get in are awful. Almost all of those 68 campers have experienced some form of abandonment, abuse, or neglect. Many of them have experienced the death of parents, the, the absence of family members. 
We'll have campers this week that in their short lives have lived in dozens of different homes with dozens of different caregivers. We'll have campers who live in Christian foster homes where mom and dad love Jesus and are doing their best to respond to the call on God's life. And we're going to have campers who are in foster homes where people are just collecting checks. And in all of these spaces, the enemy is actively working to steal and kill and destroy the future that God has for each of these children to experience his favor. And from our end, it can be easy to look and say it seems impossible. We don't know how God could work through that. Culturally, we, this is where some of those lies around abortion come in of, well, if their life is so hard, it would have been better to never have life at all. And yet for us as followers of Jesus, what we believe the scriptures teach is yes, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus promises life to the full. He promises a favor that endures and you might experience difficulty and you will have some setbacks along the way, but he never stops working. Nothing defeats his presence. Nothing stops his plan. And so when you find yourself in a position of, I received God's favor, I was following the future has, and now I feel like everything's coming at me. It's not a sign to quit. It's not a sign that God is absent. It's just another space where you will experience the enduring favor of Jesus Christ. And so as you, as you keep reading Joseph's story, you see what this looks like. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, he winds up in Egypt. Instead of killing him, his brothers decide they're going to make money off of him. So they sell him to some slave traders that are coming through. The slave traders take him to Egypt. And it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. And when the scriptures tell us that Joseph found favor, it's, it's kind of in the context of Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes. But what you and I know is Joseph was just continuing to experience the favor of God in all of his life. He's beginning to learn through this process that no matter where he goes, no matter what he does, God's favor is at work and God's favor cannot be defeated. Now, it seems as if part of God's favor in Joseph's life was he gave him gifts of administration and leadership. And everywhere Joseph goes, these gifts go to work. And so he shows up in Potiphar's house and he's just another foreign slave. But, but quickly he rises to the top in Potiphar's household. Potiphar puts him in charge of everything that he owns. He doesn't worry about a single thing because of Joseph. Why? Because the favor of God rests on him. And when the favor of God rests on God's people, God's blessing is never restricted simply to their life. It always overflows into the world around them. And, and so you might be here this morning and you think, man, I, I mean, I know Joseph had a bad job. Mine's pretty bad too. Hate my employer, hate my coworkers, hate all these sorts of things. But if you're the favored one of God, then his favor on your life should be a blessing to the place where you work, should be a blessing to the relationships that you're in, should be a blessing to everyone around you. And, and so Joseph's experiencing the favor of God. The blessing is overflowing to Potiphar's house. It seems like things are going well until they're not. As you keep reading Genesis chapter 37, it tells us that Joseph was young, well-built, and handsome. And Potiphar had a wife. We don't know anything about her 
other than she chased after Joseph day after day after day with one simple message. Come to bed with me. Now you might look and think, man, Joseph, what a man of character to resist that temptation. But again, remember the house Joseph grew up in. Two wives, two servants, bunch of kids, bunch of dysfunction. I mean, isn't it possible that Joseph learned some lessons from his father? I'm like, hey, you know what doesn't turn out well? That. I'm not doing it. And he tells Potiphar's wife, I'm not doing it. My master's withheld nothing from me except you, his wife. I'm not going to do it. One day they're alone in the house. She comes, grabs him by his cloak and says, come to bed with me. He does the only thing he knows how to do. He, he wriggles out of it and takes off running. And as he runs away, Potiphar's wife screams. She tells other servants a story of that Hebrew slave. He came in and he tried to assault me. Potiphar doesn't seem to listen to Joseph, doesn't seem to investigate, just sends him off to prison. And once again, it seems as if God's favor is coming to an end in Joseph's life. So he's went from the favored son of his father to an Egyptian slave, to an Egyptian slave with a little bit of responsibility, now back down to a foreign prisoner in Egypt. Seems as if there's no hope, no way for him to, to work his way out. And yet, once again, Joseph continues to learn that whatever the enemy is trying to take from him, wherever the enemy is trying to prove that God is absent, he will see again and again and again that God is active. So he goes to the prison, and what does he do? He lives as a favored child of God. We're told in Genesis 39, while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. No matter where Joseph went, no matter what was done to Joseph, God's favor endured. And there might be some of us this morning that, that you, at some point in your life, you felt like you were favored by God. You felt like you were called by God. You started walking a path of obedience that you thought would have a certain destination. But there's been some twists and some turns along the way, and you're not where you thought you would be. Joseph's story reminds us that our inheritance of favor is a story that's written until the day that we die. And so if God has given you dreams and God has given you visions and he's directed your path and there's been some obstacles that have come up along the way, it's not proof that God is absent. It's just another place where God is active. And so like Joseph, our job in every situation is to experience the favor of the Lord, to exercise the gifts he's given to us and to let his blessing overflow out of us into the world around us and believe that if this is still his plan, he will achieve it in his time, in his way, and for his glory. Our job is to be faithful in this favored status and to know God's favor is not something I earned. It's not something I worked my way into. And so it's not something my circumstances can take away from me. So Joseph just stays faithful. And again, his gifts, administration and leadership, they rise to the top. Joseph can't help but be the man God has called him to be everywhere that he is. He lives this life of integrity. He lives this life of purpose. And God uses it again and again and again. Now, now again, this week at camp, one of the, the gifts that our camp staff get is you get the opportunity to call out the gifts that God has put in the lives of each of our campers. You get a chance to, to acknowledge the pain if it comes up while also connecting them to some of the gifts that you see God has put in them. 
And as you begin to pray and seek the direction of the Holy Spirit, throughout the course of the day, you're going to see that, man, God has given you a, a sweet spirit of kindness. God has given you a natural gift of leadership. God has given you a strong spirit that will stand in the face of opposition. God has given you wisdom. God has given you strength. God has given you intelligence. God's given you gifts of, of making friends and drawing people together. And you might be the first adult ever in one of those kids' lives that is called those things out in them. And in that space, it is not just the power of positive affirmation. It is the Spirit of God at work in you declaring, I see the favor of God in your life, and what he has started, he will finish. And life might be hard, and life will be hard, but God will be faithful. Every season, in every step, he will achieve his purposes. He will keep his promises. This is our experience, and now it's both our privilege and responsibility to share it with everyone that we encounter. And we see it in Joseph's life. So as, as you kind of fast forward, we, we don't have time to, to get into all of it. But as we work our way through Joseph's story, you see that while he's in prison, he encounters two men who used to work for Pharaoh. One is his baker and one is his cupbearer. And they both start to have dreams. Right? And so, so we've seen in Joseph's life, he has gifts of administration. He has gifts of leadership. But what we also see is he has gifts of interpreting dreams. At first, his own, understanding that he would be raised to a position of leadership over his family. And then when he's in prison, these men begin to have dreams. And the baker has a dream that's not so good. Right? You can read it for yourself later, but basically he has a dream that Pharaoh's going to cut his head off. And Joseph tells him, Pharaoh's going to cut your head off. Sorry. Um, and, and then the cupbearer has a dream. And Joseph tells him, good news for you. You're actually going to be restored. And you're going to take up your position in Pharaoh's palace. And, and he does. And Joseph's one request to the cupbearer is, when you go, please remember me to Pharaoh. And he, he's just hoping somehow that it could work to where he could just get out of prison maybe. And then as you keep reading the story, it says the cupbearer is back in Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh keeps having these recurring dreams over and over and over again. And all the wise men, all the religious leaders of Egypt, no one can interpret them for him. One day the cupbearer clicks of, oh yeah, Joseph. And he tells Pharaoh, hey, I, I, I met a guy in prison and he interpreted two dreams. And you remember what you did to the baker and you remember what you did to me. Joseph told us both of those things would happen. And so Joseph is brought to Pharaoh and he interprets the dream and tells him there's a, a famine coming to Egypt and you need to prepare and you need to do all of these things. And Pharaoh looks around at all of his leaders and he says, is there anyone among us in whom the spirit of God rests as it does in Joseph? And the answer is no. And so he pulls Joseph out of prison and he puts him in a position of prominence. In fact, he tells him, you will be second in command in all of Egypt. The only difference between you and me is I will sit on the throne and you will not. And so Joseph has been elevated out into this position and God's enduring favor is being demonstrated over and over and over again. Eventually, Joseph's brothers, they, they live in the, the region outside of Egypt, but they begin to experience the same famine that Joseph had told Pharaoh was coming. It gets so bad in their land that they're out of grain, but Joseph, in his wisdom, using the gifts God has given him, he has stored up all kinds of grain in Egypt and is now selling it back to people in this time of famine. And so his brothers make their journey to Egypt and, and somehow wind up with an audience with Joseph. And as they walk in, the first thing they do is they bow down in his presence. 
And then you, you can read the story later. There's all kinds of back and forth. There's a couple trips here and there. But eventually, Joseph reveals himself or who he is to his brothers. They bring his father to him. He sets them up in, in, in a region where they can care for their flocks, where they can survive the famine, and where they begin to thrive and actually become the nation of Israel that God had promised to Abraham he would establish. And all of this occurs because of God's favor on Joseph. And so his family comes and they're settled and everything seems to be going well. And then Joseph's father dies. And when his father dies, his brothers get nervous because they think, well, we, we've really never done anything nice for him. Uh, dad was the only one that really loved him and treated him kindly. And maybe now that dad's gone, Joseph's going to come for us. And, and so his brothers, being fine, upstanding men that they are, they come and lie to him. And they tell him, hey, Joseph, dad wanted you to forgive us. Uh, you know, it was his dying wish. Uh, said he loves us and that he hopes you will too and you don't hold a grudge. And, you know, they just kind of have this whole story played out. But when they come to him, we find Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, which, which many of you might be familiar with. Joseph tells his brothers, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph recognized more than anyone else that he had been the recipient of God's faithful favor. And what he tells his brothers is the same message you and I need to receive today, that, that God's favor turns every setback into a setup. Every time where we feel like life is moving backwards, we're being prepared to experience God's provision in that moment. If Joseph had never told his brothers the dream and they had never told him uh, and they had never sold him into slavery and Potiphar's wife had never accused him and he never wound up in prison with the, the cupbearer and the baker, I'm sure somehow God would have still arranged to get Joseph where he needed him to be to do what he wanted him to do. And so when we look back at his story, we don't know exactly if it was at God's, the direct hand of God that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery or if God just worked through their sinful actions. And in our lives, a lot of times we can waste a lot of energy trying to figure out, was that bad thing the direct will of God or was it the result of living in a sinful world? And you can go down those paths for the rest of your life and you might find answers and you might not. But I promise you the one answer you can know in every season is no matter if God sent it or if God allowed it, God is going to use it. You've never had a wasted season. You've never had a wasted crisis. You've never had a wasted need. You've never had a wasted hurt. There's never been a space where God's spirit has not been present, working, and active. And so this week, when, when we encounter 68 boys and girls who are in foster care, I am, I am confident in telling you that this was not God's plan for their life. That this is the result of sin in the world, that they have been hurt and harmed in such ways. And I am equally confident in telling you God is with them and God is working. And we get to be part of his presence in their life. And I would tell you the same thing in your life. I don't know how you got where you are. I don't know why some of the bad things happened to you that happened. I don't know why it seems as if God's promises have been delayed. I don't know why you're not further down the road. I don't know why your husband left or your wife abandoned you. I don't know why you never knew mom or dad. I don't know why you suffered with addiction. I don't know the, the true answers to any of these. But what I know is in every space, God is working. And every setback of the enemy becomes a setup for us to experience his grace and his power. 
This morning we're going to receive communion together as a reminder to us that this is the life we've been promised. If you didn't get uh, the elements as you came in, you can grab them at any of the tables by the doors. This morning as we receive communion, we're remembering that we have received the inheritance of Christ. That through Jesus, the favor of God is not just something we hear about and hope to experience, but it is the promised reality for every believer. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he has declared that he will overcome the worst things in our lives to achieve his purposes and his plans. We're reminded that the ultimate setback when Jesus was crucified becomes the ultimate setup through which all of us are going to be brought into his family. And so this morning we remember that no matter what we're facing, Jesus faced worse. No matter what obstacles in our way, they are not as difficult as him being placed in the grave. And yet as we remember his sacrifice, we also remember his resurrection. His demonstration of life-giving power that overcomes everything and everyone. And as we submit to it again today, we receive his forgiveness of sins. And we receive the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now dwelling in us. When we receive communion, we are reminded that we are the recipients of God's favor. That he knew you and loved you so much, he sent his son to suffer and die for you. To be raised to new life so you could be raised to new life in him. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me, we're going to pray. And then we'll receive communion together. Jesus, we come to you today. And Lord, I pray in this moment as we receive communion, we would once again receive your forgiveness of sins and walk in the new life you've offered to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you take the bread with me? And the cup. As you finish, if you'll stand with us, the band's going to come back and they're going to lead us in a final song this morning. As they do, I want to I pray a prayer of God's favor and blessing over you. Jesus, we come today having received your forgiveness and walking in your new life. And Lord, we, we now come to receive our identity as your sons and your daughters. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every man and woman, every teenager and child, that they would hear the strong voice of your spirit declaring, you know them by name, you see their situation, and your favor rests on them. Lord, we receive your favor. We receive our place as your sons and your daughters, and we want to walk in the newness of life that you are calling us to. So Jesus, we believe that you are coming to speak power, to speak life, to speak healing and restoration over every area. Lord, I pray especially today for those of us that, that we feel like we're not quite where we thought we would be. We're not as far down the path you called us to as we thought we would be by this time. And Jesus, today we pray that you would help us to see that you are at work, that every obstacle is a place where your spirit is leading and guiding, providing and clearing the path for us. And so Lord, today we pray against discouragement. We pray against doubt. We pray against the lies of the enemy that tell us you have abandoned us or forgot about us. And today we take our place 
as the favored sons and daughters of God, believing that you have a path, you have a plan, and you are leading us on it. So Jesus, we surrender to you. We speak your powerful name over every season and situation, and we ask for your spirit's ability to perceive what you're doing and to follow you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.